traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. You are making the world a better place by listening to the Joy of Living podcast. This is your guide to achieving a more purposeful, powerful, and positive life. Join Barry Shore in unlocking the best version of you and becoming happier, healthier, and wealthier. And now, here's your ambassador of joy, Barry Shore. Good day, beautiful, bountiful, beloved, immortal beings, and good-looking people. Remember, you're good-looking because you're always looking for and finding the good. We are good in abundance. You will be amazed at the goodness that you're going to be listening to, internalizing, utilizing, that will help transform your life. That's right, transform. That's why, of course, you tune in consciously and conscientiously to the joy of living with your humble very sure you tuned in for one reason one reason only and it's the reason in the entire world because you care the most in the entire world about you y-o-u e-w-e that's great because when you become the best you you make the world a better place you build more bridges of harmony create more joy happiness peace and love of the world and at this very moment you're joined by over 348,722 people around the world and by the time we bring on our amazing guests in just a few minutes there'll be over 355,000 people who've joined in all looking to become the best you possible the best you possible so we make the world a better place together one by one by one and you know that on this show we work with the three fundamentals of life and when you apply these three fundamentals of life you become happier healthier and wealthier who doesn't want that these three fundamentals are number one life your life has purpose and when you lead a purpose-driven life number two happens is a good number two number two is you can go mad lead a purpose-driven life you go mad mad is a wonderful acronym that stands for make a difference lead a purpose-driven life you make a difference and the third fundamental of life is to uncover the power and the secrets of everyday words and terms everything words and terms simple example right now you're either listening to or this particular podcast over the internet, around the world. Everybody can, we have people from all over the world listening and viewing. And if you ask anyone, it's www, or invariably people have to do with the internet. And actually speaking, but in our world, the positive, purposeful, powerful, and pleasant, www stands for what a wonderful world. And what a is a word, right? W-H-A-T-A. What a wonderful world. Of course, a tip of the hat and a big thank you to Louis Armstrong Satchmo for enabling that song, What a Wonderful World, to go viral and touch not just tens of millions or hundreds of millions, but billions of people around the planet. And whenever you hear even the opening bars of that song, what do you do right away? You can't help but just smile. Now, smile is one of those important words it's an acronym that you can internalize, utilize, and leverage in your life because SMILE stands for seeing miracles in life every day. Seeing miracles in life every day. Now, just before the pandemic, when we were actually speaking to human beings, you know, face-to-face without face masks and God willing will happen again very soon, they had an audience of about 5,200 people. And I'm telling you about Barry Shore, and I'm talking about smile, seeing miracles in life every day. People raising their hands say, hey, Barry Shore, Barry Shore, I've been up for hours, I haven't seen any miracles. And I asked them, are you here? Can you hear? Do you, can you stand still? Can you see? Can you walk? I can barely do that. Do you have water, drink, food, eat, place to sleep, family, friends? Every single one of those is a miracle. And what's the simplest proof? Simple proof. A million people didn't get out of bed this morning. You know why? 
They died. By definition, if you're watching or listening, you didn't. You have an obligation to live exuberantly. So let's tell a quick story. Imagine the following, standing up in the morning, hale and hearty, able to leave tall buildings in a single bound, and that evening be in the hospital totally, completely paralyzed. Not from an automobile accident, not a spinal injury, a rare disease, which I never heard of the day before, took over my body and rendered me a quadriplegic. Nothing in my body moved. 144 days in hospital, two years in a hospital bed in my own home. I couldn't turn over by myself. I had I was in a wheelchair for four years. I had braces on both my legs for a couple of years, and that was progress. I am now able to be vertical and ambulatory with the help of a seven-foot walking wand. I still cannot walk up a stair by myself. I can't walk up a curb by myself. I've helped 12 hours a day, seven days a week, but you hear my voice. Positive, purposeful, powerful, and pleasant. Why? All because of this one word. Smile, seeing miracles in life every day. I can tell you a quick story. My eight-year-old niece comes over to me a few weeks ago. She said, Uncle Barry, Uncle Barry, can we spell smile, S-M-I-E-L? And I thought about it. Sounds the same. Smile, smile. Why not? I asked her, how come? Because she says, because that would stand for seeing miracles in everyday life. <laughs> Out of the mouth of babes. That's from Psalms. Out of the mouth of babes. But what was she doing? She was creating the kind of world that she wants to live in. Create is a wonderful acronym. and stands for causing rethinking, enabling all to excel. Thank God we have a brain. Your brain has 100 billion brain cells and over 120 trillion synapses connecting all those brain cells. And they're there for more than what kind of latte you want this morning. The ability to do neuro-linguistic programming, you choose how you want to think, how you want to live. The six most important words you'll ever hear in your life and internalize, utilize, and leverage are choice, not chance, determines your destiny. Choice not chance determines your destiny. So I just want to warn our guest and everybody that's listening, and thank you for your uh, vote of confidence. We have over 350,000 people every week, and you're always bringing more people, and I thank you for that. Now we're up to right now 363,820 people, and we'll have probably 370,000 by the time our amazing guest, Rabbi Daniel Friedman, comes on. But I just want to warn everybody in advance that I do use four-letter words. And I even use the F-U word because it's fun and it's uh, the shock value. But the four-letter words that we use because we live in the world of positive, purposeful, powerful, and pleasant are love, life, hope, grow, free, gift, pray, play, swim. <laughs> four-letter words, right? And the four-letter F-U word is fun. Fun? Yes. F-U, capital N, capital N. But people raise hands and say, hey, Barry Shaw, Barry Shaw. Fun's only spelled with three letters. Not in our world. World of the positive, purposeful, powerful, and pleasant. Fun is spelled F-U, capital N, capital N. So after the show, when you see your family and your friends, and you have a twinkling eye, a smile on your face, remember that stands for, point your fingers at F-U, everybody. But remember to add right away, capital N, capital N. And say, where'd you get that? I said, I listen to Barry Shore on the joy of living and everything you want to know about our amazing guests today. And there's so much to know. Just go to our website, barryshore.com. You don't have to write anything down. You don't have to remember everything. Just lean in and let all the transformative information come through you, around you, and into you. Just go to barryshore.com. All of the information will be there. But before we bring on Rabbi Daniel Friedman, I'm going to urge everybody to use the two most powerful words in the English language three times a day, consciously and conscientiously, from now and for the rest of your life. The two most powerful words in the English language are thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank stands for to harmonize and network kindness. To harmonize and network kindness. The Dalai Lama has been quoted as saying, I read in his writings, be kind whenever possible. And he says it's always possible. Now, imagine going into your coffee shop. No mask, no pandemic. You walk in, you order a fancy latte, you sit down, somebody brings it to you, say thank you. You walk in the coffee shop, you order a fancy latte, you sit down, a few minutes go by, nobody brings it, you go to the counter, you say, they say, oh, I'm sorry, we forgot, we'll bring it to you, very busy. You sit down, a couple of minutes go by, you still say, thank you. You're walking out of the coffee shop, it's raining out. Somebody holds the door open for you, you say, thank you. You're walking out of the coffee shop and it's raining and somebody slams the door on you. You say, thank you. You're in traffic, you're late for an appointment, somebody cuts you off, you say, thank you. You get up in the middle of the night, you stub your toe, it hurts. You say, thank you. To harmonize and network kindness. 
KIND is a wonderful acronym that stands for Keep Inspiring Noble Deeds. I cannot think of anybody that I want to share with you that inspires noble deeds more than amazing, wonderful, fabulous Rabbi Daniel Friedman. Wonderful Rabbi Friedman, please say hello to 368,228 people around the world. Hello to all of the followers of the Ambassador of Joy, Barry Shaw. It's so wonderful to be here, and I have to tell you, Barry, feel free to call me Dan. That's D-A-N-N. <laughs> I told you you're going to love him. Is, okay, Dan, D-A, capital N, capital N. When was the last time anybody ever said F you to the rabbi? Oh, my God. And you laughed. <laughs> oh, yeah. This is, this, is, this is a lot of fun. Yeah, and, and thank you for having me here today. And I have to say, even with your thank yous that you mentioned the fellow slams the door on the way out of the coffee shop. And, and thank you for getting past you in the traffic and cutting you off. And thank you for stubbing the toe. Remember, all of these ideas of thank you, the real thank you is you recognize that, hey, not everybody could have even made it to the coffee shop that day. Not everybody even has a job to get to. Not everybody has a toe that can experience pain. Pain means that you're alive. And so that is what we're really thanking for. And that's really what we're going to be discussing, Dan and I, and everybody else listen in, because remember, the show is not about Barry Shaw, great guy that he is, or even Rabbi Daniel Freeman, amazing being that he is. It's really about you, Y-O-U. And because what Daniel Friedman brings to us is a life well lived in every possible way, physically, mentally, and spiritually. Now he has rabbi in front of his name. So you think, okay, he's a spiritual guy. Yes, he is. But he's a spiritual guy because he's married to a wonderful woman. He's a spiritual man because he has five children, all of whom are daughters. Woo! Imagine paying for those weddings. Uh, but so he has to be also physical and mentally sound. And one of the reasons, though, that I asked Rabbi Daniel Freeman to be with us today is because he is he's an iconoclast on many levels. He's also a raconteur. He's a great scholar, and he's going to share with us insights that are going to make your eyes open wide, your eyebrows raise, and get your heart going pitter-patter because he's going to go into and take us through what we call the Sea of the Talmud. And that's C-S-E-A, because it's a beautiful, big, wide ocean, bigger than the Pacific and all the seas of the world. We're going to get into the sea of the, I dare say, most of the hundreds of thousands of people saying, Tom, what is that? Look it up later. T-A-L-M-U-D. But I'm going to turn everything over now to Rabbi Dan, to Dan, D-A-N-N, and he's wax eloquent on what is the Talmud and why should we be listening to you? Okay, well, thank you, Barry. Well, you know, you've really put me on the spot here with coming up for an, with an acronym for Talmud. So let's try this. The awesomest learning moment underlying daily life. Does that work? It works beautifully. <laughs> So, so yeah, the Talmud is the oral law. In Judaism, we believe that we have the Bible and we also have an explanation of the Bible. We believe that when Moses stood atop Mount Sinai and received the law from God, he received both a written Torah and also a verbal explanation. As the oral law suggests, it was passed on orally from one generation to the next and it wasn't written down. It was only later when Rabbi Judah the prince, a rabbi who lived about 2,000 years ago, saw that there was going to be a dispersion of the Jewish people around the world. We wouldn't have a central body to be able to explain the written law. He said it's time that we wrote it down, and that became known as the general body of the Talmud, made up, you might have heard of the Mishnah, the Gemara, but generally it's known as the Talmud. And that's the oral law, the explanation of the Torah, of the Bible, of the three parts of the what Christians call the Old Testament, the uh, Pentateuch, the prophets, and the writings, the scriptures. 
and that's our written Torah, then our oral Torah as a general corpus is the Talmud. Now, the Talmud contains all of the secrets of the universe, and if you start delving into it, everything in life becomes meaningful, purposeful, and starts to make sense, starts to fall into place. So let's unpack some of what you've mentioned here, because first of all, it's um, weighty, it's important, and it's now, that's when. It's, it's because of the hundreds of thousands of people who are listening, and I urge everybody to, to make sure you listen to this again and share this show with five people, just five. And that way we'll have over a million and a half people around the world. Many people listening are under the age of 38, 80% or more under the age of 38. And at this particular moment in, the world, in world history, there is a, a battle, not that it's unusual, a battle between belief in a biblical source, and i.e. the creator, and those who are not. And it's happening more and more in not just autocratic societies, which try to suppress the idea of God and a creator, but even in Western society, it is a big attack. So you mentioned the term the Bible. Let's take it in, in its narrowest sense, the five books of Moses. Every Most everybody, uh, I'm sorry to tell you this, Dan, but there was a a um, study done recently, I think within the past decade, uh, amongst millennials. Now, millennials is an overworked term, but amongst millennials, and you'll be amazed to hear that over a third, I think it was 38% of millennials did not know who Moses is or was. Amazing. Um, quite amazing. Uh, the reason I mention it is because our, the people listening here are all seekers. They, they tune in because they want to know. They're highly educated. They are interested. They're leaning in and say, I don't know. He's talking about Talmud and Mishnah, but let's keep it in a very narrow cast for the moment. And we're talking about the five books of Moses and that there is a fundamental belief in Judaism, which is, by everybody's account, the spawning mother religion or monotheistic way of learning about life that has given birth to billions of people around the world who call themselves believers, i.e. Christians and Muslims. So almost a half of the world's population believes in a God for, for, at, at some level. But let's go to your point now about the Bible. Why is it that the written Bible that now has been handed down for thousands of years, and we're talking about if we're putting Moses in a place and time, then it's approximately 3,500 years ago. 3,500 years ago that is highly educated, a prince of Egypt, receives something directly to the creator and gives it over to a unique people who can give them the ability to pass it on. Why does it need this written? Why does it need oral explanation? you give an example of why it's to have the oral understanding as well as the written? Yes, Absolutely. Absolutely. I think one of the best examples would be, you know, you know, one of my friends, Rabbi Mordechai Becher, talks about uh, all of the people that learned how to swim from a book. You know, it, you know, they borrowed the book from the library. The book was How to Swim, and they read the book, but sadly, those people are no longer with us today. Because you can't learn how to swim from a book. You need somebody <laughs> to teach you how to swim. There's some, some things that you can learn out of a book and some things that need to be conveyed orally, need to be hands-on, need to have human interaction and instruction. And it's very fundamental to the Jewish tradition that there are these two aspects, both the aspect of the written word, we are the people of the book, we study, we've had literacy uh, where most of the nations of the world haven't had universal literacy for thousands of years. But at the same time, there's that teacher-student, that mentor relationship 
that rabbinic disciple relationship that has been paramount to the conveying of the Jewish tradition because there's more to life than simply what's written down black on black and white. So even when we say that the Talmud is the oral law recorded, it's not all encompassing. It's constantly growing and growing. The oral law, the tr oral tradition in its written form is constantly being manifest on paper from one generation to the next as the various rabbis and those who have learned the tradition from the masters in each generation are able to convey that element that's needed for that particular generation, commit that to writing, explain it well enough that it can be encapsulated in writing, but knowing all along that that is not the final word. The final word of the Torah is the oral tradition, and that's something that is constantly being passed from one generation to, to the next, orally, right? Many of your listeners might have heard of Kabbalah. Kabbalah became popularized when uh, the likes of Madonna and Brittany and Ashton Kutcher and others became adherents of Kabbalah. Kabbalah literally means tradition or something that is received. It's an element of the oral tradition, the esoteric element of the oral tradition that is so holy that only a small part of it has been committed to writing. For the most part, it can only be conveyed from teacher to disciple, but that's the nature of the oral law. Since it's just so much grander than what words on paper can express, that's why there is an oral law, But because we as human beings, we are so much greater. You mentioned in your introduction our neural function of multi-billions of neurons. You can't, you can't commit that to paper. We're bigger than that, and Judaism recognizes that aspect of humanity, of human creativity, and of something that is more than just the written word, and that's the Talmud. The Talmud is the beginning of that. Every word in the Talmud already speaks volumes and already needs explanations of volumes. My contribution to that, that I call the transformative daf, is just one small piece of the puzzle where I take just a little piece of the Talmud each day. The Talmud is divided into 2,711 pages, which, mind you, was not a Jewish pagination. It was put together by by the publishers uh, in the 16th century. After Gutenberg. That's it. And, and as a result, though, we now have a page system that's universal, where 100 years ago, one rabbi said, well, let's take that and let's all do one page of that a day so that we're all on the same page. And what I do is I take a little piece from each page and try to make it accessible because even that page of the Talmud speaks volumes and most people would find it inaccessible and would say, wow, wow, this is a, you talk about the sea of the Talmud that one is jumping into. Every word, every letter is sacred and is so profound. And if I can do my little piece to be able to make that profundity and sacredness accessible to my fellow inhabitants of this great planet Earth, then I feel that I've contributed, like you say, in, again, in your introduction, I've done my little piece to be able to make this world a better place, a place of meaning and purpose. So you are hearing that Dan has just admitted he's mad. He's Damn. making a difference. Uh, I'm going to urge everybody, again, about Rabbi Daniel Friedman, just go to barrel.com and access to his book. Uh, written other things, but this book called The Transitive Daf in the Hebrew language page is truly transformative. It is the ability to make that which is on the surface and then you deal, dig deeper, esoteric, make it accessible. In that if you can read English and you have the ability to ask questions, because this is the, the essence of Judaism, is to be a questioner, to seek 
answers. If you have the ability to ask questions, then this could become something that will transform your very being. What Daniel has dedicated years of his life to this transformative daf is the beginning of a process, as he mentioned, several things. Number one, that the Talmud itself is a very large compendium. 2,711 pages, which by definition takes some, some seven plus years to go through if you're doing a page a day. But I also want to make mention that Dan has mentioned the word law a number of times. Now, when people hear the word law, they tend to because law sounds like police or something heavy and such like I want to share with you, Dan, and our listening audience, those who are new, will not hear those that have been around with heard before. Law in our lexicons for love and wisdom. Because that's sense of law. So when you're talking about the written law, written love and wisdom, the oral law, love and wisdom, that's really what it's about. It's the ability of the creator. God, whatever you want to use as a term, the creator of the universe to communicate with humans. In other words, the ability of the infinite to somehow communicate to the finite. And that's what Dan has done. He is, not that he's God, I don't want anybody to get the wrong impression, but what he's done is he's literally taken the ability for us to get into a boat and to go into the Sea of the Talmud, because as everybody knows, if you're in, you launch your boat in the Pacific Ocean, let's say Venice Beach, California, which is a very famous place, by the way, where I used to live for decades, and you go out and you row out for or sail out for 100 yards, you are as much a part of the oceans of the world as if you were anywhere in the ocean. You can be in the middle. It doesn't matter. Once you're in one part, you're in all parts. And that's what Dan has done. This volume and the subsequent volumes that will be coming, God willing, uh, are really enabling us to sail confidently in the ocean of the oral law, which gives us the ability to begin to understand the genius of what we call life. Life stands for, Dan, living inspirationally for eternity. And I want to use that as a jumping off point to go back to you again, because the, the, the essence of Judaism, as we say, more than 3,500 years, God willing and counting, and we will continue as long, is the ability to understand that we are, we as Jews are the eternal people, and that's our message to the world. I think you'd agree that every human being is unique and eternal. And the ability to tap into that channel to recognize that you are a cog, not just an insignificant cog, but a channel of goodness, or as I like to say, a child of God. That's what you really are. And that's what you've done. So let's use this now to continue our discussion of being in the Talmud's wisdom and relevance for the here and now, and not some dusty tome that or that becomes a tomb and exists another time. It's relevant for here and now. Can you give potential example of the here and now in the Talmud? Sure, absolutely. So I just think about, you know, obviously I live day by day with my daily Talmud study, and it's something that I responded to you in the introduction, which was actually just yesterday's piece of Talmud study. It's based on a famous story. Here's the story. Rabbi Akiva is walking along through the ruins of Jerusalem. In Jewish history, there were two holy temples in Jerusalem. The first one built by King Solomon. The second one built or orchestrated by Ezra and Nehemiah at the behest of King Cyrus of Persia. And afterwards, it was destroyed by the Romans. And Rabbi Akiva is walking through the ruins of Jerusalem, and he's with two of his friends. And they see foxes running through the ruins of the temple. And his friends begin to cry. They can't imagine. This was the splendor of 
Israel, of the Jewish people, of Zion, of the world to a certain extent. And look at it now, lying in ruins with animals running through, they're crying, and Rabbi Kiva starts laughing. <laughs> Akiva, what's up with you? What's wrong with you? Yeah, don't you see what's going on? He's like, yeah, what's, what's wrong with you? Don't you see what's going on? Like, what do you mean? He says, well, the prophets have already told us that there will be a destruction and there will be foxes that will run through the ruins and then eventually the temple will be rebuilt. Now that I know, I saw destruction they don't have to prophesy about. But then to tell me that there would be foxes running through and I see this with my very own eyes, now I know this is tangible. This is real. This is going to happen. This is one step towards the final redemption to the rebuilding of this holy temple. Now, what this tells us is like you, Barry, the ambassador of joy, who always sees that glass is half full. And this is what I began with. You know, when we see a temple in ruins, we could say, oh, the temple's in ruins. But when we see those foxes running through, we could say the foxes are running through it. Or we could say the foxes are running through it and they're dragging with it that final rebuilding. And one of the things that I touched on yesterday in my exposition, my expositions are not based on my own thoughts, they're based on uh, great rabbis who have expounded the Talmud, is, but I just bring it down to 21st century thinking. I says, you know, there's so many things in our life when we attempted to see the negative, you have to think about, well, that maybe that negative could only exist due to the positive. So say, for example, you know, people complain, oh, I have problems with my, with my boss and I have problems with my colleagues. And you say to them, well, wait a sec. You know what that, we know what you're saying. You're saying you have a job. How many people don't have a job today? <laughs> Thank God you have a job. I've By the way, Dan, yeah. let me put you on pause for a moment. We have, to talk about job, we have a job to do. We have sponsors that love us. And Dan is going to bring us through on the other side and tell you the positive of everything in life because that's his essence. So don't go away. Stay with it. Buckle up. And more Rabbi Dan, D-A-N-N, Friedman, on the other side of this short break. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Hi, everybody. Barry Shaw here, the ambassador of joy. We've entered into the fall season, and fall means coming up to winter. Holidays, all kinds of stuff, not just stuff. Stress, S-T-R-E-S-S. You know, I've spoken about stress many times on the show, and with stress coming on with the holiday season, everybody wants to be happy and such, but everybody knows what's going on. I want to talk to you about something really important for your benefit. It's called Talkspace, T-A-L-K-S-P-A-C-E, Talkspace.com. This is an online therapy program, show, website, and it's available for you. It is so important for you to be involved. You all know my story. Standing up in the morning, hail and hearty in the evening, quadriplegic. Okay, nobody has to go through something that drastic to know that speaking to somebody, a professional licensed therapist, can be of benefit. I know. It's true. It helped me. It can help you. This is so easy to do. You are talking about secure, professional process. It's the number one online therapy platform in the country. It works around your schedule, your convenience. I urge you, please, match yourself with a licensed therapist. Go to Talkspace.com, T-A-L-K-S-P-A-C-E, Talkspace.com. Get $100 off your first month with the promo code Barry. B-A-R-R-Y, go to Talkspace.com, put in the promo code Barry, B-A-R-R-Y, and you'll get $100 off your first month. Please do it. You'll thank me. Best wishes. Bye now. Imagine the kind of place you would want to shop for your favorite fur baby pet. Honest pets.co. Well, you found it. Honestpets.co. Not .com, .co. This is your go-to spot for the best, the cleanest, 
pet treats that exist anywhere on the planet. All of the brands go through a rigorous review to make sure they meet the high standards of cleanliness, health benefits, and naturalness. This site was started by a husband and wife team, and it's veteran-owned, and that care about pets, especially dogs and cats, and coming soon, bird treats. These are very nice young people who really care about making a difference because a portion of proceeds go to support veteran organizations with a focus on service dogs. This is the place where you want to go. You want to tell your friends this has the finest, yummiest, freshest, all-natural treats and stuff for your fur baby. So go there, honestpets.co honestpets.co do it now good day beautiful bountiful beloved immortal beings good looking people remember you're good looking because you're always looking for and finding the good that's what dan told us just before we left you we're back now and rabbi daniel friedman d-a-n-n will be is going to share with us some amazing insights we've been talking about by the way he's a rabbi for those who don't know rabbi means teacher. In his case, not just teacher, but master, because that's what it means, a master. He has dedicated, not has, he is dedicating his life and his wife by his side because you don't live in this world without a wife that makes the team work. Team, by the way, stands for, and his, and his five daughters are included in the team. Team stands for together, everyone achieves miracles. And that's what he's done. He's achieved a miracle in bringing the esoteric, interesting, somewhat difficult information to people to make it accessible and allow that information not just to be information, but to be transformation. So we left off just before we went for the break. Then we were talking to us about the relevance for the Talmud in today's world. It's wisdom. And we talk about law as love and wisdom. Let's talk about some things that are truly interesting in the here and now, because if you pick up any newspaper, I don't know if anybody does that anymore. If you listen to anything or you read and such, you'll notice that the country called Israel and the Jewish people are almost always in the news. It is astounding because the number of Jews in the world is infinitesimal compared to the 7.68 billion people on the planet. We're talking about just under 20 million, less than 15 million Jews in the entire world. And we're talking about a place, Israel, which is the size of a state called New Jersey, which is where you live now. So if you anybody around the world, because we have people listening from China, India, and all places, you look up New Jersey, you'll see it's small. Well, that's what Israel is. Yet outside this is an outsized proportion of impact on the world. Let's talk about Christian attitudes, because there are billions of Christians around the world, Christian attitudes towards Israel and the Jewish people, because you're sort of an expert in this. So thank you, Barry. So we have transitioned a little away from the Talmud study to um, my academic hat that I wear. Uh, I'm a student of international relations at the University of Alberta. Uh, we lived in Canada for 16 years. And my area of expertise is American Christian attitudes to Israel. And I look at what is it about America and about Protestantism that have led to such interest in Israel, in the area, and it's really fascinating. It's really fascinating because the pilgrims who first came to this country saw America as the new Israel. They saw their sojourn as biblical in nature. They were escaping perse religious persecution in Europe, various parts of Europe. You have all sorts of European groups who come to settle in the new world because they're escaping religious persecution. And they see their journey as paralleling the journey of the ancient Israelites, the forebears of the Jewish people. Just a word of explanation for your listeners, Barry. Uh, Israelites, Jews. So originally there is an Israelite nation, the children of Israel. Israel was the other name, name of Jacob, the third patriarch, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob becomes known as Israel. 
I like to quip, I know we're on a tangent of a tangent, that Israel, L is God's name, and prior to that, we were known as Hebrews. But then when we were given the Torah at Mount Sinai, our sages liken it to a marriage between God and the Israel and the Hebrew people or the Jewish people. At that point, God says, you're no longer Hebrews. Now you're taking my last name. Now you're Israel. <laughs> so, so the Israelites and made up of 12 tribes later make their way to the promised land, which is the land that's been promised already to the patriarchs and already a part of the family's land under the forebear Shame, who was a son of Noah and is displaced by the Canaanites. Right? That's also, also very important to mention in any of these discussions that you know, people say, well, the Israelites conquered the land. Yes, they brought the land back into the family where it originally was. Shame was known in the Bible for your Christian listeners as Malkitzedek, the king of Shalem, which is Jerusalem. All right, so it was originally family land that we regained. Now, there was an Israelite nation that was eventually displaced by the Assyrian uh, kingdom. Not Syrian, Assyrian, A-S-S-Y. Assyrian who removed, dispersed, exiled most of the Israelite nation. What was left was primarily the tribe of Judah. And that's how Jews got their name, the national name Jews, is really that one tribe of Judah that were originally the children of Israel. By the way, now that you're taking a pause, just to put it in context, so um, the, one of the most famous Jewish holidays that is celebrated worldwide, a uh, rabbinic holiday called Hanukkah, involved one of the more famous Jewish people named Judah Maccabee. So the name Judah is the essence of what Judaism is. It's not Judaism. Judaism is a study of Judy, Judy. Judaism is a study of Judah and our descendants. So this is one. So what is it about American Christianity that was, let's say, different than European or in this now today, even in Asia? For instance, in Korea, Korea, South Korea has a very strong Christian identity. And by the way, in Korea, we have lots of thousands of people listening to Korea. There is a movement among Koreans in South Korea to study the Talmud because yeah, they, yeah. they recognize the love and the wisdom that is inherent in there. And maybe what, what your book, The Transformative Daf, will be translated into Korean. Who knows? Amazing. But yeah. why? Let's talk about why is American Christianity seemingly different than European, which persecuted Jews for many centuries, and American Christianity, which really welcomed Jews? Right. So this takes us back to the Protestant Reformation. We have a time 500 years ago when Martin Luther, who, mind you, was a, an anti-Semite, he uh, wrote on the Jews and their lies. He remained very dedicated to uh, persecuting the Jews. But there was one thing that he and his contemporaries did, Calvin, others, that was a game changer in history, is that they said, well, wait a sec. We've been taught all of these things about the Bible. Let's see what the Bible actually says. They called this sola scriptura, only the scriptures. Let's read the scriptures and see what they say. Now, as I say, Martin Luther still couldn't uh, change his mind about Jews, but many, particularly a fellow by the name of Theodore Beza, who wrote, uh, translated the Bible, uh, it was called the, the Beza Bible, uh, and it was a precursor of the King, King James Bible, he said, well, wait a sec. It never says that God re rejected his relationship with the Jews. Yes, he has a covenant with Christians, but that Jewish covenant never disappeared. And what began then in the 16th, 17th, 18th centuries was a form of Christian restorationism that said, let's restore the Jewish people to their ancient homeland, to Israel. 
That's what the Bible says. The Bible says that the Messianic era will happen when the Jews are returned to Israel. So clearly, if that's what we want, we want a Messianic utopian era, the Jews need to have the wherewithal to return to Israel. And this became a movement in, in England, and this then became a movement in America, and it really moved by leaps and bounds here in America, particularly because the American immigrants, the Christian immigrants, saw themselves as part of this same story. They could identify with Jews that had been exiled because they themselves had been removed from their original European homelands and been sent away. And they said, you know, this journey. But then they found that, wait a sec, this promised land of America, this land flowing with milk and honey. I mean, you have original ideas of maybe the, the, the language of America being Hebrew, that maybe the, the, there should be a staff of, of Moses, who we mentioned earlier, splitting the Red Sea. That should be the seal of America, because that's what's happened here. And as many of these, particularly uh, those of uh, Scots-Irish uh, migrants, as they made their way across, across America, they felt that this is the journey that continued across the wilderness uh, and into the wilderness until they could develop this promised land of America. And then when Israel, the modern state of Israel, became something that was discussed in the late 19th century, early 20th century, American Christians said, this is important, this is this is what the Bible has said. We see the prophecies of the Bible that are unfolding. Now, here's yeah, what's By the way, let me interrupt you uh, to unpack some things. So you had mentioned this before the break that you were working with a particular page in the Talmud about Rabbi Akiba, A-K-I-B-A. Again, everything you want to know, but Daniel's talking about, just go to barryshow.com and all, everything about him will be there. Uh, but talking about prophecy and that the destruction and now the restoration. So you're right. The people who came to America and settled saw themselves as living the Bible. You see, the Bible is not just a book of stories or there's something that happened at a time and a place. It is universal and it applies to all places and all times by definition because it comes from God. Duh, God doesn't have just one particular place in time. And the ability for people to see themselves in that journey. So one of the words we use for joy, the acronym for joy is journey of you. Everybody goes through a journey. Mormons built their theology upon the same idea of the journey to the promised land. Even not just... Um, um, Catholic, American Catholics uh, became different than European Catholics who persecuted Jews relentlessly, and yet in America, not so, and, and became much more accommodating to the process of working together in brotherhood. Because when you read the Bible, and the Bible now we talk about five books of Moses, it also contains the Psalms and the Proverbs and the Song of Psalms. And these universal applications of the idea of joy, happiness, peace, and love animates America, because this is our founding principles. We're founded upon two basic ideas. One is reason, and one is the spirit. And they both work hand in glove in America without, and here's the key, without a state religion. Now, I want to talk to you about Canada again, because you mentioned that you lived there for 16 years, and now you live in America, and we're very, I mean, in the United States, because Canadians think they're part of America, too, uh, <laughs> in, in New Jersey. Yes. Uh, but I want to talk about a great story, because our time is, is coming short, that uh, you were the chair of the Canadian Holocaust Monument. And I'd like you to tell a story that you had mentioned to me, because it not, doesn't involve Christians, doesn't, doesn't involve Protestants, doesn't involve Catholics, it involves Sikhs. Now, Sikh is S-I-K-H, not S-E-E-K, even though Sikhs are seekers. But talk to us about what happened with the uh, Holocaust Memorial that monument that you were the chair of. What was the story here? 
Yeah, so, so just again, I, um, to expand even further for your, for your listeners as to who Sikhs are, because they are, there are me, far fewer numbers of Sikhs here in America than there are in Canada and other parts of the world. And so they're a really small minority here. And so not all Americans are familiar who, with who they are. A lot of Americans see them and they think they're a form of Muslim. They're not. They're from the Punjab uh, section of northern India. They're the ones that wear the turbans. And uh, many of them... Much, never by the way, to... much like we wear this. In other words, the idea of recognizing something above you. Exactly. The, the difference is they are wearing that turban and beneath that turban is hair that's never been cut. They tie it up in a bun as children and then they tie it up in a turban as adults. They don't cut their hair, they don't cut their beards. And in Canada in particular, Sikhs have become very prominent and part and parcel of Canadian society. The leader of the NDP, one of the major political parties, federal political parties in Canada today is, is a Sikh fella, is married to an Indian actress. Both very good looking people, very intelligent people, and very Canadian, despite, you know, they come originally from India, but I, I think he might be a couple of generations Canadian. Now, back to our story. So they have a strange law in Canada, whereby if you want to be able to introduce a new law into the parliament, which is like Congress, you need someone, if it's completely unrelated to anything else that's, that's current, you need someone, you get a one-shot deal, someone who's never introduced new legislation, they're called rookies or backbenchers, you need them to introduce it. So there was this idea that was that been floated for many years about having a national Holocaust monument in Canada, which was long overdue. I mean, you think about the United States Holocaust Museum, a prominent part of, of what this country represents in Washington, D.C., every major country in the world. And yet Canada had nothing, had Holocaust monuments around Canada in Jewish communities, major Jewish communities like Toronto, Montreal, but Ottawa, which is not particularly a Jewish community, but is the capital of Canada, did not have a Holocaust monument. And there was a feeling that this is an important message for Jews and non-Jews. It's not a Jewish message. Mm -hmm. It's a message that is universal, that how could progressive society allow this to happen? And in fact, Germany was the most progressive society and orchestrated that this shouldn't happen. We need something as an eternal testament to Canadian values. And so the government decided we want to be able to do this, but we need somebody to introduce the legislation. They have a fellow sitting on the back bench by the name of Tim Uppel, U-P-P-A-L. Tim Uppel is Sikh. Tim Uppel, they say, Mr. Uppel, would you like to be the initiator of this legislation? He says, uh, he actually goes home, talks to his wife, comes back. He says, absolutely, let's do this. He introduces it, and of course, it receives unanimous assent in the parliament. Everybody, cross parties, say, yes, this is something that is essential. Now, here's where I enter into the story. Tim Uppel doesn't do it because he has Jewish constituents. He probably has very few Jewish constituents. He has a couple, a handful at most. But he, live, he is a, the parliamentarian for a town just outside of Edmonton. And I'm the rabbi of Edmonton, Alberta at the time. And I say, well, nobody in his town cares or knows. This is just made, this is major. I says, you know what? We have to honor him as a Jewish community. I call up his office. I say, Mr. Apple, we would be honored if you would come to our synagogue. We would like to honor you at the synagogue. We'll make a celebration. You will address us. He says, well, thank you. Uh, that's, that's very sweet of you. He comes, and here, I, I want you to know, firstly, he and I remain lifelong friends. I have since lived in the UK. I'm now living in the US. He and I are close. We're actually close in age. Our families are close. He's been over to my home. He has presented to my daughter, one of my daughters, at her bat mitzvah at the synagogue. I mean, he and I are, are, are very close friends, but here's what's really interesting and how you never know what impact will happen in life. So why did I mention that he went home to discuss it with his wife? 
I'm sure innately he knew that it was the right thing. But here's his wife Kiran's involvement. He goes home. Kiran is also Sikh. Kiran at, uh, attended, now you mentioned Barry, no story of Christian Catholic here. She actually attended a Catholic school in Ottawa, and she had a lot of Jewish friends. It was a good school where members of all faiths attended. Here are Sikh girls, Jewish friends. These Jewish friends were, were about to go on the March of the Living, which is a visit the teenagers take to the death camps in Germany and Poland. They go to Auschwitz. They see that this is a sad reality, sad part of history, a tragic uh, genocide that, that, and prepares them to be able to fight the injustices uh, that surround us throughout our lives. And they said, they, they asked their group leader, they said, do you have to be Jewish to attend? No, 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 you don't have to be Jewish. Can we bring along our friend Kiran Shasik? Yes, yes, sure, she can come along. Kiran, as a teenager, goes on this march of the living. Sikh girl, Catholic school. She develops a relationship with Rabbi Ruvain Bulka. Rabbi Bulka was a major figure in, in, in not only as a Canadian rabbi, but a leader of the Canadian general community. All politicians know Rabbi Bulka. He, is, he was such a kind and generous individual and a man of great wisdom. He, uh, he passed away uh, just a few months ago. But from that moment on, she had a relationship. She considered Rabbi Bulka her rabbi as a Sikh girl. Her, she has a rabbi, Rabbi Ruben Bulka. <laughs> when her husband comes home, her husband who has had nothing to do with Holocaust, Jews, nothing. He, come, he comes home, he says, well, what do you think? She says, what, what, what question? Of course this is what you're going to do. And I want to put you on pause for the moment. Our time is at the place where we need to pack up. Uh, I'm crying. I believe many of the tens of thousands of people around the world are shedding a tear of joy. The, the relationships that you've articulated here amongst people, recognizing that the Bible is the essence of truth. And we have it on written. We have it in oral. We thank you, Dan. I'm going to ask you three quick questions, and we're going to have to bid adieu. But uh, you'll see. The three questions are, number one, will you come back again? Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Number two, you have 80 seconds. Actually, no, you only have 60 seconds to answer this question. Ready? Go. What is your most fervent desire? My most fervent desire is to convince as many people as possible to contribute as much as possible in the short lifetime that we have here on Earth. He's a madman making a difference, D-A-N-N. And number three, I'm going, may I give you a hug in front of 368,227 people around the world? Absolutely. Okay, let me tell you what hug stands for. Heartfelt unlimited giving heartfelt unlimited giving one two three oh thank you that that hit the spot thank you thank you you've been listening to the joy of living their humble host barry short our amazing guest rabbi daniel freeman or dan as he's known d-a-double-n and you tuned in for one reason, one reason only. Dan's a great guy. Barry's a fabulous guy, but it's all because of you. You tuned in because you want to be the best you possible. When you do that and you live with the three fundamentals of life, you'll be happier, healthier, and wealthy. Who doesn't want that? First fundamental, life has purpose. Your life has purpose. You lead a purpose-driven life and go mad. Mad stands to make a difference. And third is unlock the power and the sequence of everyday words and terms, such as www. What a wonderful world. Smile, seeing miracles in life every day or as my eight-year-old niece says seeing miracles in everyday life create the kind of world you want to live in causing rethinking enabling all to excel use the six most important words that you'll ever hear in your life and utilize them internalize them leverage them choice not chance determines your destiny use four-letter words liberally and remember, because we live in a positive, purposeful, powerful, pleasant way, these four-letter words are love, life, hope, free, grow, 
play, pray, swim, <laughs> and tell the world, F you, capital N, capital N. That's what Barry, you said, what is that about? Barry Shaw wants to teach the world to F you, capital N, capital N, like Dan, N, and use the two most powerful words in the English language three times a day, consciously and conscientiously for now and the rest of your life. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to harmonize and network kindness. And our blessing from the great rabbi and from Barry Shore is go forth, live exuberantly, spread the seeds of joy, happiness, peace, and love. Go mad. Go make a difference. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Joy of Living podcast. Now that's another step towards your healthier, happier, and wealthier life. Never hesitate to do good in the world, no matter what the situation. Join us for another upbeat discussion next time at BarryShore.com. And be sure to leave a rating and subscribe to the show to get more conversations like this. And remember to share it with your family and friends, too. See you on the next episode. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.